Our panel today is in answer to the question, do you want to be a pastor? And so we're excited to talk a little bit about that up here. We are going to have an opportunity for you to ask questions as well. So if you have a question that you want to ask us, you can be thinking about that. Thought we would just start with a little bit of an introduction of our panelists, and I'll let these men introduce themselves. I'm Nathan Busnitz. I have the privilege of serving at the Master's Seminary, as well as being on the pastoral staff here at Grace Community Church. I serve as an elder here in the Cornerstone Fellowship Group. Our fellowship groups are essentially the equivalent to an adult Sunday school class, and it's just a joy to get to be part of the ministry here. And we are really, really thrilled that you are here with us this week. I think it goes without saying that we receive more encouragement here from those who come than I think we could ever give back to you. So thank you so much for being here and just know what an encouragement it is to our hearts to see so many faithful men gathered in one place. So this is Mark and Chris, but if you guys could introduce yourselves. Yeah, I'm Mark Zakovich. Um, I'm also on pastoral staff here at the church and an elder. Um, and I also serve at the seminary in the New Testament department and administration. My name is Chris Hamilton. I am not on pastoral staff. I'm an accountant. Um, I do uh, forensic accounting for a living, um, but I also serve as an elder here at Grace Church, and I'm involved in the uh, college-age ministry here at Grace Church um, in, uh, in my extra spare time. So I thought we could start this morning. The big question we're asking is, do you want to be a pastor? That's our theme for this, this afternoon. But I thought maybe we could start by asking a more broad question of what does it even mean to be a pastor? We know from the New Testament that there are different words, poimen, a shepherd, a pastor, presbyteros, an elder, a leader, episkopos, a bishop, an overseer. Oftentimes, I think a seminar like this, guys probably come in thinking, do I want to go into full-time vocational ministry? But we understand that pastoral ministry can be broader than that. So... When I ask the question, what does it mean to be a pastor, how would you men answer that question? The first passage I'm thinking of is Acts 20. And I see four things there regarding pastoring, shepherding. It's preaching, it's protecting, it's praying, and then it's shepherding or pastoring. So I kind of, for ease of memory, I have four Ps. Um, and you can see all that on, for the sake of time. I don't want to read the passage, but you know, it's Paul's meeting with the Ephesian elders and he kind of challenges them to uh, protect the church. And so the, sh- the wolves will arise. You remember that passage, man? So that's the context. And in verses 24 to 28, he says, preach the word. You know, I did not withhold from preaching the whole counsel of God. So that's where we get the preaching. So I see those four as the main responsibilities of a pastor. Preach, pray, protect, and pastor. Yeah, and I would just add to that, Hebrews 13, 7 to me is a great summary passage. It says, remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. The role of a pastor is to preach the word and live an exemplary life. Um, And then uh, uh, Titus 1, 9, right after all of the uh, qualifications, it it says, verse 9, kind of answering why all these qualifications, verse 9, holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he, the elder or pastor, will be able to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. And that goes along with the preaching 
um, and the pastoring, um, but exhorting in sound doctrine and contradicting or refuting those who contradict, excuse me, um, is also the role of a pastor. Yeah, so we would understand that pastoral ministry is broader than just full-time vocational ministry. It encompasses any form of church leadership where you have qualified men acting in an elder capacity. And maybe along those lines, Chris, you serve as the chairman of our elder board. Could you just talk a little bit about how the elder team here at Grace Community Church works and even the pathway that we have for lay elders in terms of men who aspire to the office of elder but maybe aren't, uh, aren't vocational pastors? Yeah, we, we firmly believe here at Grace Church that the Bible makes no distinction between um, a pastor and an elder. That's a cultural distinction. We, we reference it that way a lot even here sometimes, that the guys who are pastoral elders are the ones who are on paid staff at Grace Church, and the rest of us are just elders. The Bible doesn't make that distinction. So everything we just said, as, as um, Mark and Nate already said, applies to all 45 of our elders um, about a third of our elders are on uh, paid staff, so we would call them our pastoral elders. Um, the rest of our elder board are lay elders, meaning they are uh, compensated. Really, this is the only distinction. They're compensated somewhere other than uh, Grace Church. The expectation is that the pastoral elders probably will have more influence churchwide. They have more exposure, but the lay elders and the pastoral elders, there is no difference between the qualifications nor the expectation of how they function um, within the church. Um, the, the difference really is influence. Um, <clears throat> so that's a real quick how we view it, how we operate. Um, and we are, and I am personally involved when a man says, I want to be an elder, that's the gateway qualification. You, you desire the office. Uh, that begins a process of shepherding and discipleship. Sometimes it takes years in uh, uh, to see that come to fruition. Yeah, so maybe speaking of aspiration, and again, this is do you want to be a pastor? That word want implies the aspiration. For both of you men, what comes to your mind if someone was to begin to wrestle with that question, maybe in terms of pursuing this in a vocational sense as a staff pastor, what comes to your mind in terms of answering a young man who says, I'm not sure if full-time vocational ministry is something the Lord has for me. Maybe they even phrase it in terms of, am I called to ministry? That's a popular way to phrase that question. How would we begin to answer a question like that for, for a young man who's considering full-time pastoral work? Um, so I would, first of all, encourage that. I think you always want to encourage anybody who's demonstrating any need to pursue ministry. Uh, there's multiple levels of review that follow, but initially it is appropriate to encourage that individual. And my kind of my approach falls into four phases or four elements that I'd like to put forward to any convers- in any conversation. And they all come from 1 Timothy 3 and then 1 Timothy 5. So the first thing we've talked about is aspiration. That's 1 Timothy 3, 1. The one who aspires... To the office of an overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. So the first thing is that desire. We have had people here, and Chris can speak to the examples if necessary, but who've been suggested to be considered for eldership 
But then Chris goes to them and says, your name has come up as a potential future elder based on the ministry you're doing. This isn't just a random suggestion. The men are serving, they're shepherding, they're teaching a Bible study and so on. And then the conversation goes and the man says, I have no desire to be an elder. And it kind of stops at that point. So that is the most, I would say, the first step, the most important. As you keep reading that chapter, you see qualifications. So aspiration is the first, qualification is the second. And you see that all the way down through verse 13. And you, you can look at the details beyond that. The next one is giftedness. And the way we understand things here is the main difference between a deacon and an elder slash pastor is teaching. There's a responsibility that the elder pastor has to teach, and he has to be gifted in that area. So that's the third category is giftedness. And the final comes from chapter 5, 1 Timothy 5, and that is affirmation. And so we do encourage people to be in a context where they are beginning to exercise the gift of teaching. For us, it doesn't mean public preaching on Sunday morning in a fellowship group or some kind of Bible study or the main pulpit even. It just means you're discipling. You're investing into people by teaching the Bible to them one-on-one. Sometimes it is in a smaller context. Uh, So any conversation that I've had, and I've had many, sometimes at Shepherd, sometimes in men around here at this church, I would always walk through those those four steps and help them see, okay, where where are you in those steps? And if somebody says, look, here's what I've done, here's what I'm thinking of doing, I always say, great, put yourself under men who can actually begin to evaluate you objectively. The qualification one, that's character. And that is of utmost importance, of course. Uh, and we they pay a, attention to that very seriously. I'll give you an example just from my personal life. Um, I was hired here at the church right after graduation from the MDiv. And I talked to the pastor overseeing all the kind of the senior administration pastor at that point and expressed my desire to be an elder at some point. He said, great, I'll let you know when you're ready. And four years passed by before he came back to that conversation and says, okay, I think now you're ready to take the exam. And it wasn't in any way hostile those four years, but it was just watching my life, character, giftedness, and all the elements we talked about. And sometimes it's shorter, sometimes it's longer, but I think whatever number of years or months pass, the goal is to evaluate the man and to be able to say, yes, we affirm him for this office. Yeah, and the only thing I can add to that is that's pretty comprehensive is maybe some some warnings. Um, one of the things that the Bible warns us about is appointing spiritual leadership too quickly. First um, uh, Timothy 5.22 um, says, uh, don't lay hands on anyone too hastily and thereby share responsibility for the sins of others. Keep yourself free from sin. You know, a a young man that gets saved and is on fire for the Lord and wants to immediately go to seminary and go into full-time ministry. um, Again, I agree with Mark. Your first instinct should not be to kill that dream. Um, uh, It should be to encourage it. But your second is to be very wise and discerning and careful, um, not not to be the kill um, switch on on the dream, but to protect that person and to protect future flocks from elevating and identifying a man too quickly. And what we're talking about here, Titus 1.9, the ability um, um, to exhort and sound doctrine, that doesn't happen overnight. That's not an emotion. That's based on knowledge of the Bible and the ability to contradict uh, or I did it again. To refute those who contradict requires not just Bible knowledge, but a diplomacy and a winsomeness and a, an ability to appeal to people. Um, so there's maturity implied in all of that. So I, I think that's one one concern. The other thing is um, 
Um, particularly here, everybody wants to be like John MacArthur. And um, that's not a bad thing. If you can do it, do it. Um, but not everybody is John MacArthur. And the, the ministry, even for John MacArthur, is difficult. It's, um, and so um, I always want a young man to count the cost, to understand what actual ministry looks like. And I suspect that's what um, that man had in mind when he said, wait for four years and uh, see what this is really like. Um, so I could say more, but that's enough for now. I want to hear what Nate has to say. Well, uh, just to summarize what both of you said, I think the key is looking for faithful men, 2 Timothy 2, two, right? So if you're in a position where you're looking for future elders or members of your pastoral team, you're looking for faithful men. And those categories that Mark listed out of 1 Timothy 3 are the categories by which you evaluate that. And if you're a young man who aspires to that kind of work, you're looking by God's grace to become a faithful man. Chris, you you mentioned seminary, so I wanted to ask about the role that seminary plays in preparing a man for pastoral ministry. Is seminary absolutely indispensable? Is it essential? Is it helpful? So talk a little bit, obviously, I, I work for the seminary, full disclosure, but uh, talk a little bit about the role that seminary education can or should play in the process of training men for ministry. You want me to do that or Chris? Both. Both. Okay. Yeah. And then I'll chime in maybe. Yeah. So I'll say, I think initially you asked, is it, in, is it necessary? Um, no. I would say the simple answer is no. You don't have to go to seminary to be in ministry. Uh, I do think it's helpful, and for my own personal journey, uh, I was probably teaching for f- seven years or so, maybe even longer than that, before I went to seminary. And I think that desire just kept growing and growing to keep uh, studying the Word of God at a deeper level. And I first took some classes. We have a Bible institute that happens here on weeknights, and I took a couple of those classes and just loved them. And so the next step was to say, okay, I think I'm going to go to seminary. So I think a lot of men who are in seminary, especially those who've been doing ministry for a while, end up in a similar path. You know, they feel like there are a point where they need more training. But I don't think you have to have seminary in order to be a pastor. I do think there are benefits that you can't get outside of seminary that are only available to you in seminary. And that is a systematic approach to studying scripture. And that goes beyond just systematic theology. It goes into hermeneutics. It goes into the survey classes, book by book, study of each uh, book of the Bible. It goes into the languages. And those things you can try to do individually and perhaps through videos online and things like that. But having a faculty member who sought through this for 20, 30 years, sometimes less, but oftentimes in that range, 15 to 30 years, they can help you avoid certain conclusions because you just don't have as much knowledge. And so it might lead you into a direction where you know you'll end up in heresy. Uh, And so that man, that faculty member, will help you protect from that. Uh, I have no regrets of going to seminary. I was in the professional field. Chris is an accountant. I was an accountant as well. And uh, at some point I I I decided, you know what, I want to spend the rest of my life vocationally in a ministry context as opposed to the accounting context. Even though I made that decision, my current job here at the church and the seminary is finance. So I'm still doing it, um, I think, 12 years later after graduating. Uh, so God has a different journey, but that's the way I get to serve our church currently. And so hopefully that answers the questions. That it's not obligatory, but it certainly is. Uh, nothing can 
I would say, substitute for that if that is what you are looking for. Yeah. How many of you in this room uh, serve in a lay capacity in your church? Oh, wow. Okay. Um, How many of you aspire or are considering being a full-time pastor? Okay, good. Yeah, I'm I'm speaking to my people here when I say that as a lay guy, when I get up um, at oh dark thirty um, on a Saturday morning because I have to teach and I it's time to study and prepare, I feel at a total disadvantage because I haven't been to seminary, um, and you know there's a fear factor, um, a genuine fear factor that do I have this right? Am I doing this right? Because I don't have the languages, I don't have the systematic training. Of course, I've been sitting under John MacArthur's preaching for 51 years, so I should have some of it down. Um, and, and I don't say any of that as an out. Um, if you're going to teach the word, you must be accurate. You must get it right. And so I, I think for someone um, who thinks they may be going into full-time ministry or somebody who wants to be involved like I am in a lay capacity in the church, involved in teaching, um, getting that systematic training is extremely valuable. I would agree with Mark. It's not uh, required, um, but it sure is helpful. And as one of the elders here at Grace, I can tell you having it in the parking lot of Grace Church is a tremendous uh, blessing and advantage to Grace Church as well as to uh, the men in the seminary because you walk out of the classroom and you're in the lab, um, which is the church. And so there's a lot of opportunity here at Grace Church um, and not even just at Grace Church. We have men in the seminary there are in local ch- other local churches where they're putting all of this in, into um, practice as they're learning. I think it's extremely valuable, very helpful. Let me add two things, if that's okay, Nathan. So one is, um, in light of all the hands that went up in regards to lay ministry, there are ways for you to invest into the education and by testing it out. And so I think it's not, sometimes men think, okay, it's either seminary or it's not seminary. Take a class. Take a couple of classes. Start with online classes. I just had this conversation in my office during lunch, just less than an hour ago. You just take a class and see if you enjoy it. You know, that's, that's, that was my approach to it because I had a career and a great career. And so I was trying to make sure that this is the right decision. So I would encourage you to do that. With all the different ways you can access theological education now, I'd probably say if you are in a full-time vocation and you are a lay, uh, leader in your church, that would be my suggestion. Do that first. And if it just keeps pulling you, then I would suggest then jump into seminary. The second thing, if you make a decision and that, you know what, I'm not going to go to seminary full time. We do have a program here at the seminary called the Institute for Christian Leadership and ICL. There's a seminar about it on Friday. You can go and learn more about it. But it's, uh, it started about two years ago, I want to say, maybe a year and a half ago. And the intent is to invest into lay leaders. And the classes are brand new. They're being filmed as the program is being developed. It's not an accredited program. So the goal isn't to get an MDiv fully remotely. It's for you to actually spend time with our faculty, with our pastors. Those are the two types of individuals who are part of the the faculty there. And so they're doing ministry as they're teaching at the same time. So I would encourage you to consider ICL. It's extremely affordable and it's 12-week courses intended for you as a pastor, as a leader, to even encourage your fellow leaders to go through this class together. And the classes range from practical ministry to theology and beyond. So that's ICL. Yeah, when I think of, and I appreciate what both Mark and Chris have shared, when I think of the goal of 
pastoral ministry, the word that comes to my mind is faithfulness. You know, when I think of what Jesus said in that parable at the end of Matthew, when the servant appears before the king, it's well done, my good, and it's not popular, right? It's not well done, my good, and popular servant. It's not about how many people follow you on Twitter or how many subscribe to your podcast. It's well done, my good, and faithful servant. That's the goal that we're aiming at. And so when we talk about training, whether it's formal training from a seminary and an MDiv program or informal training, uh, listening to Pastor MacArthur's sermons or doing something through the Institute for Church Leadership, you do want training. That is the Second Timothy 2.2 principle that godly men are going to entrust the truth into your heart and life so that you can be found faithful. And even when I think of the book of 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy 1 is about guarding that which has been entrusted, the truth of the gospel. And then 2 Timothy 2, there's that great verse in verse 15 that we want to be approved workmen who are not ashamed because we're rightly dividing the word of truth. And even to Chris's point, how intimidating to think about giving an account before the Lord for your interpretation of his word if you haven't done due diligence in preparing so that you are an approved workman. So whether that training is formal or informal, you want that kind of training. Second Timothy 3, refuting false teachers, upholding the authority sufficiency of God's word. And then, of course, chapter 4, preaching the word in season and out of season. This is what and this is where I'm going with this, these are the kinds of distinctives that you want to look for in the training you receive. Getting formal training is only valuable if the place you receive that training from is faithful in those areas. One of the worst things an aspiring elder can do is go to a school that's going to train him the wrong way. So there are many good options But look for a place, whether it's informal or formal, where you will be trained from men you trust so that you will be found faithful to be an approved workman who need not be ashamed. And if you're interested in what TMS can offer, uh, we certainly would love to serve you in any way we can. So come find me after this. We also have some of our staff here who can talk to you. We're happy to serve you in that. We're not the only option. We recognize that. There are other good schools, of course. But my, my exhortation to you is find trustworthy sources under whom you can study and be trained. All right, we want to take an opportunity to open it up to you men if you have questions for our panel. I do have more questions, so if no one here has questions, I can ask more. But is there anyone here who has a question? If you just want to raise your hand... Yeah, right here in the front. Go ahead. So I'm going to go ahead and repeat the question just for the sake of our recording, and then I'll let Chris answer it. So the question is... Talk a little bit about, as a lay pastor, lay elder, the way that you think about how you manage time and energies and those kinds of things between a career and ministry, family, and the other responsibilities of life. 
Yeah, and this is a good question, um, not just as a lay elder, but as a young man or even an older man, is considering whether I should go into full-time ministry. I, I think this applies to all of us in this room. Um, you know, we struggle with the question, am I really called to ministry, um, right? I, I think that's, that's, is there a call? How do I know I'm called to ministry? What I like to do is draw the distinction, not just for other people, but for myself. That is a good question, and there's not black and white in the Bible. But what there is black and white on in the Bible is that if you're married, um, there is no choice on whether you're going to love your wife. It says you're going to love your wife. Uh, you pick the one to love, and now you're going to love the one you chose. Um, and Ephesians 5, starting in verse 22, lays out very clearly how you and I are to love our wife. Um, should the Lord give you children, has given you children, that is is also clear in scripture, I think. I don't think there's a lot of ambiguity about what your role is as a dad um, and as a husband. And so that, I think, we need to do what clearly is God's will and hold on loosely to what maybe we uh, aren't sure about what God's will is. And so when I am, um, uh, I I work a lot, I um, do um, a lot of ministry, I have a great family. And in balancing all of that, my priorities have to be the Lord's priorities. And uh, maybe it's just me, but I think the things that are clear in scripture, that's what I need to make sure I'm doing. And the rest is an add on. Um, But that doesn't mean that um, if I'm supposed to teach a Bible study next Wednesday night, um, that I can call up and say, gee, I'm really sorry. I decided I need to spend time with my family that night. There's also character, um, integrity. I made a commitment. I'm going to be there. I need to figure out how to do this. If it means I get up at three in the morning and, and prepare so that I'm there for the family and for work and also meeting that obligation. It is not easy. Amen. Yeah. It doesn't matter whether you're a lay elder or full-time, um, pastor, there is no easy path on all of this. Um, I think it requires prayer. I think it requires accountability and it requires, Um, purposeful living, knowing what God's called me to do and what I'm not so sure he's called me to do. And I need to um, do not let go of what God, God has called you to do. Um, And you know, from scripture, I'm going to say what you all know is true. If you don't have your family buttoned down um, and you're not a man of integrity with your wife and in your home, all the rest of this doesn't matter. You're out of ministry. It's, it's a, what we accounts would call a timing difference at that point. Um, you may still be there, but um, it, it's coming to an end. Do what God clearly has called you to do, and um, and the rest follows. Chris, would you pick our next questioner? Sure, in the back. Okay, so just to repeat the question or to summarize it, is the question, do I want to be a pastor, even a valid question theologically, or would it be better to think of it as, does God want me to be a pastor, and has he providentially worked in my life so as to confirm that in my heart? Thoughts? I think that's a great question. 
um, I think my answer might surprise you. I, I always avoid um, assuming that I know what God wants about anything um, other than what's clearly um, revealed in the Word of God. And First Timothy 3, I think, answers that question. It says, that it is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. I think the proper premise of the question is, does he desire the office? And it goes on to say, not just the office and the prestige that comes with it, but what? The work. And some men say, I aspire to the office or I aspire to the work, and they don't understand what the office or the work entails. And that's part of the discipleship process. That's part of the training process. But I would answer it this way. I think God's will is revealed as a threshold question in a man's heart, does he genuinely desire the work? If you want to know what, um, um, whether God has called a man to ministry, that to me is the gateway. It's the first question. It's how God reveals, um, not in a mis- mystical way, but I think that's how God reveals whether um, this man is heading down um, the right path. Now the really smart guys are going to fix what I just said. Nathan's smarter, so he goes first. Often wisdom is measured in silence. Exactly right. <laughs> um, well, I certainly agree with what Chris just said. I would just add to it that we all recognize that God gives us the desires of our heart, which I take to mean that God puts in us his desires for us if we are walking according to his will. And this isn't some sort of extra biblical revelation or anything like that. We are a decidedly cessationist school and church. Uh, But it is a recognition that God works through providence to put in the hearts of those who are walking with him his desires, and they become our desires so that our will and his will work in concert. And so I don't think the question, do I want to be a pastor, is invalid theologically, but I do think it assumes that if God is in this, then that desire is a desire that comes from him. And if I can add to that, I thought of something else. Part of the process of shepherding um, a man through this, whether it's your own heart or somebody else's heart, is to examine the motivations of that desire. And I say that on the authority of Scripture, 1 Peter 5, um, where it says, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight. And here it goes into motives. Um, um, Shepherd the flock, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness nor yet is lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. A young man can can say, I desire to be an elder, and you can figure out in 30 minutes, he's in it for the money, he's in it for the prestige, he's in it for the influence. Is that a desire um, placed in his heart by God? Probably not. And this is just, you made me think of it, because I think you said it well. You know, if you're walking in the spirit, um, you know, the desires of your heart are probably consistent with what God's will is for you. If you're not, that's a scary place to be. That's where you get mystical and you get emotional and you say, I really want this, so I'm going to go do it. And I think God's in it. 
when First Peter 5 lays out a pretty difficult grid, a uh, very clear grid, but sometimes very difficult to walk through with a young man, are, are these your motivations? Okay, Mark, pick our next questioner. Far left, right there. Yeah, so I'll just speak uh, biographically, but also a difference, I would say, in general. Um, what kept pulling me was the additional and the deeper analysis that you would get in graduate school. You know, the Bible Institute here is intended to target the lay people, you know, and I've taught in that since then. And it's a very broad audience of people with uh, very little education to people with grad school, you know, in various fields, engineers and so on. So as a teacher, you have to be mindful of all that. And so your teaching is not, I would say, as deep as it is in a seminary context. Uh, the second thing I'd say is this. I think there's an element of, of um, cohesion that you want in your graduate school. You want to be presented kind of a package deal. And uh, oftentimes talking to students who graduate here and go to other seminaries for additional school, maybe a PhD and so on, and the diversity that you begin to experience sometimes will hurt you in the MDiv level. So I personally am not opposed to people getting their multiple degrees in various schools as long as the first degree comes from a place where they do affirm the inspiration, authority, infallibility, inerrancy of Scripture. Because that is, as Nathan said, key to faithfulness. And then everything will rally around that. So you'll be given a package deal from hermeneutics to theology uh, to uh, the application of that theology in pastoral ministry classes. So I would say the difference primarily is depth, but also structure. And there's an end goal in mind. So for example, here, our curriculum is designed in a specific order. So we discourage students from jumping in their first year to a fourth-year class or third-year class just because there's actually a forethought that has been given to the order of classes. Secondly, there's prerequisites. You know, you can't take advanced Greek before you take basic Greek, for example. But even in those classes, there's an understanding from the faculty member that we're going to go slowly deeper and deeper into studying Scripture. So that would be my main distinction in the two. I don't think you have to go to a Bible school or take a Bible class before seminary. Uh, I, that was just my experience because I had a career in accounting. And so I began to just think, okay, what's practical? I couldn't take time off in the middle of the day, so I could only do a night class. But that began to draw me in and ultimately said, I'm going to seminary. And even then, I think the various schools now, definitely masters, seminary, you have so much flexibility now. We have Saturday school. You can do your full MDiv, just go to school on Saturday. And so there's multiple options where you don't have to give up your career if you're still thinking of doing the lay element. Right over here. Yep. I'm not an accountant. <laughs> you can I barely probably know tell. how to work a calculator.
Okay, great. Just to repeat the question, the question is if if you're in a full-time career like accounting and you want to do seminary while you're still full-time in your career, can you get the full benefit of a seminary education while also doing a, a full career? Yeah, I'll speak to that only because that's exactly what I did. I worked for a big firm the entire time in my MDiv, and it was hard. And Chris talked about working hard. It was hard. I wanted to quit multiple times, but that was not an option for various reasons in my life. And um, I think, I'll tell you this, one of my regrets is going too fast. So I did it in three and a half years because I just kind of did full-time, year-round, summer school and all that. I wish I took slower. I went slower. Because looking at that three and a half year period now, you know, it's going so fast. I mean, you're just getting new information so fast and it's impossible to digest it all. And so I would recommend if you're in that season of life where you have to work part-time or full-time, um, I would say take four years. It's okay to be here an extra three or four months, but you'll just process the information. And beyond that, I think the relationships that you will make with the faculty and with the other students is indispensable. I mean, that's life. That's for life. And I think some of our closest friends, those who've gone through seminary, Shepherds is the best week of the year because you're reuniting with all your friends from seminary and who are faithful in ministry elsewhere. So yes, I do think it's possible. It's possible to do it here. And you know, at that point, it's more of a personal conversation. I'm happy to talk to you about that if you'd like afterwards, just because I did that and I understand the challenges that come with that. And still doing ministry, still preaching every week. So it's not easy, but you still are doing ministry because that's the whole point of seminary. It's not just work and school and then one day I'll get to preach. No, you still have to be cognizant of doing that in the middle of seminary. Yeah, I might just add to that, even though, again, I'm not an accountant, that seminary is hard, but it's hard because it's a preparatory school for ministry, and ministry is hard. And in that sense, we often draw even military metaphors where seminary is sort of like boot camp or special ops training. And it's hard because when you get out on the field, it's going to be hard. And if we're looking for a biblical parallel there, Second Timothy 2, right after that verse about training faithful men, Paul talks about how the minister of the gospel is like an athlete. He's like a soldier. He's like a farmer. And all three of those metaphors emphasize the difficulty and the hard work that has to be invested in order to see the fruit of those efforts. Seminary is designed to train you not only in what you know, but it's also designed to disciple you through that process and to prepare you for the rigors and difficulties of ministry outside of seminary. And from... I think every one of the graduates I've talked to about this, they'll say that, yeah, seminary was hard, but full-time ministry is even harder. So thank you for the rigorous preparation process that you've put us through. And then it's after that in 2 Timothy 2 that Paul says, show yourself to be an approved workman. So the effort is challenging, yes, but the effort is well worth it to know that you're rightly dividing the word of truth. Can I just add one thing since we talked a little bit about preparation again? I think as you pick the seminary or whatever, maybe it's an undergraduate level Bible degree, whether it's here or elsewhere, I would suggest prioritize a local church attachment to that school. So Chris mentioned that the fact that it's a blessing to have the seminary in our parking lot, and it is. Sitting on this side 12 years after graduating with my MDiv, I value that much more than I did as a student. And I think students 
can't fully value that, especially younger guys. I was 24 when I started. And we couldn't fully value that because you don't understand what that means to be able to observe an older man actually think through counseling situations and discipleship and all that. So I would just say, if you are thinking through that, find a place that is closely connected to a local church because then you can actually apply what you hear in the classroom live and think through those issues. All right, Chris, would you select someone? Okay, so the the question is, uh, what resources do I recommend um, to prepare you to be a a lay elder? I think a good systematic theology is imperative. I read through one every year. Um, uh, MacArthur just came out with one. Um, It's pretty comprehensive. I don't think I can recommend anything better than that. A full commentary series of the New Testament, um, a uh, concordance. I'm just giving you what I do. Um, and a lot of uh, podcasts where I'm listening to good preaching. Um, and when I'm on the freeways here in L.A., uh, 95 times out of 100, I'm listening to preaching. It's, it's a constant um, process of learning and exposing yourself to the truth of the Word of God. And, and those of you that are in uh, um, uh, lay ministry can totally relate to this, I hope. Maybe I'm the only one. But I get so frustrated at what I forget at what I don't remember. And, and so if I'm going to preach on, a, on an issue, I want to hear that passage over and over and over. And that's another thing I do in my car. There's apps now that do this for you. I used to have um, cassette tapes just to show you how old I am. But I will listen and listen and listen and listen and listen to a passage um, or to a book for context. There's a lot of things you can do. Um, there, the ICL, um, I've listened to a lot of that. The seminary offers free access to some of the classes like hermeneutics and all those other big words that I don't always remember what they mean, but they are important. I'm not putting them down. I'm saying that there's a seminary um, uh, training pa- um, um, course that is available for free. Um, you can find it. <laughs> uh, I live by that stuff. So, you know, you, the, the one thing I'll tell you from a practical standpoint, I used to be really into football and all kinds of other things and all that slid away. My life now is work, family, ministry, and preparing to teach. That is my life. And um, I like to read what my pastor is reading. I recommend you do that. Ask your pastor, what are you reading? Um, what are you studying? You're teaching through um, the book of Colossians. What are you using to prepare? Ask that question of your very own pastor. Um, and be reading what your pastor is reading. Listen carefully to your pastor. Watch how he um, divides the word of truth. Um, support him in prayer. Ask him questions unless he tells you to go away. Um, and he might. Um, but you don't have to be in a seminary and you don't have to be at Grace Church to get a world-class training in the truth of the word of God to, to equip you and prepare you to preach and teach the word. I can tell you, Yes, I make mistakes, but it is doable. 
Um, it takes hard work. It takes a commitment. And when everybody has another idea of what you can do on Saturday morning, you say, no, I got to prep. Um, and sometimes you just got to do that. Yeah, and we have a uh, number of the men from our um, team here at the seminary. In fact, if you guys are here, can you stand up? So I see Warwick is here. Is there anybody else here? Yeah, you guys. So just identify these guys. If you have questions about how the seminary can serve you, even if you're not thinking about enrolling in the seminary, we do have things like our Institute for Church Leadership, our ICL courses, and other online resources and things that we'd love to make available to you. So come see those guys. They'd love to help you. Our desire at TMS is to serve future pastors and current pastors. So if there's any way that we can make ourselves available to you to do that, we would love to do that. So we, we need to wrap it up. I have one last question for you men, uh, just to, to close our time. So the question for our seminar today was, do I want to be a pastor? So I wanted to ask you men, why do you still want to be a pastor? Why do you still love pastoral ministry um, as a as part of the staff, as a, the leader of our lay elders? Uh, what is it about this work that you still love to do? Um, I love the church. I love Christ. And I don't say that that sounds like a Sunday school answer, but that is my motivation. There are days when I don't want to do this work. Uh, maybe I'm the only one in the room. Anybody else feel that way sometimes? It's hard. Um, it is difficult, but I love the church. I love my church. I love the people of my church. I love the men I get to serve with. I love my pastor. Um, um, and all of that is another way of saying I love Christ, just like you do. And that's actually the animation and the motivation um, for being involved in ministry. And I've been told I need to. I, I am a man under authority. And so I, I literally, um, that's the other motivation is I'm doing what I'm told. Um, and I wouldn't want to do anything else. Yeah, I, um, the one that brings, what brings me the most joy is to see individuals mature in Christ, in their thinking, in their knowledge of Scripture, and then ultimately in obedience. And I think if you interact with new believers, uh, whether you played a role in their salvation or not, that's irrelevant. It's beginning to nurture their spiritual understanding. And I just, there's just pleasure. I think if you've experienced that, when somebody's beginning to move more and more towards Christ's likeness, there's nothing as satisfying as that. And for me, that is the greatest joy. It's not uh, all the other things that I get to participate in. And it's a blessing, whether it's administrative or financial or decisions, but it's actually working with people. And I think, ultimately, I think that is what draws a man into pastoral ministry. It is pastoring, preaching, you might spend 20 hours a week preparing a sermon and you'll deliver it in 45 minutes. But you have 150 hours remaining. What do you do with those? You'll sleep half of them maybe, but then you still have about 30 easily hours where you have to do something else and you will be doing people ministry. And young guys who graduate from seminary, I have some good friends who graduated recently, they go and they either church plant or take on a church and their consistent feedback is, I had no idea it was going to be this difficult. And secondly, I had no idea I'd be dealing with so many issues and helping people. And that should give you joy. 
uh, you know, you're sheltered. I think when you're not a senior pastor, perhaps you're not a key leader, you're sheltered a bit from all the issues that are happening in the church. But once you're exposed to that, well, that some, it p- pushes some people away for sure. But others, I think, are pulled into it because you want to serve the people of God. Yeah, so we find our joy in pursuing Christ and in helping other people pursue Christ. Well, let me close our time in a word of prayer and then we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for the privilege that it is to serve in your church. We recognize that it is indeed your church, that your son purchased the church with his own blood, and we are but under-shepherds serving under the chief shepherd. And so, Lord, we ask by your grace that we would be found faithful. I pray for these men that as they think about what you would have for them in terms of their future ministry, that you would give them clarity, and that if there's anything that we can do through the church or the conference or the seminary to serve and support them, that you would enable us to do it for your grace, for your glory, and by your grace, and for the advancement of your gospel around the world. We pray this in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen.